all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, interested in hearing about your unarticulated thus far thoughts about the movie because uh, I've been thinking about the movie for, you know, for many months. So I already know about my ideas. <laughs> well, uh, Sujiwa, I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah, um, you got it. They, I, I'm horrible with names, but, you know, with my own last name, you can go figure. But uh, How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, it's pronounced i tell everybody it's craw check because that's uh -huh. the easiest way my uh grandfather rest his soul would pronounce it the polish way which is craw check but uh you know but if you say well the w in there with the f and try to explain that to people they'll be like and so i just say craw check <laughs> and it's a lot easier uh yeah, and when, it, I, when i read it for, to myself i thought it was croxic Krozik, yeah, that's that's another one, which which is fine. I mean, it's been pronounced many ways through 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 the years. Though yes. I I did have someone say uh, cross ski, and I have no idea where they got the ski from, so I, I have no idea. <laughs> my uh, related to Polish last names. My first first place I stayed in New York when I was making the transition to mm -hmm. the city was uh, the the nearest subway is named after Polish. Um, uh, I think he was a uh, independent war of independence. Oh, okay. Hero, mm -hmm. uh, Kosciuszko. I mean, I'm I'm sure <laughs> I was pronouncing it. When I when my friend that I was sitting with when he sent me the uh, name of the subway, I'm like, what? What's it? What is? <laughs> Why are they not mm -hmm. using waffles? <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, uh, your last name is that Ekana. Uh, Ekanayaka. 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 Ek oh, Ekanayaka. Okay. Yeah, you just pronounce all the all the letters. These are uh, that's a Sri Lankan Sinhala name. They just try to make it sound, uh, you know, sound <laughs> correct in English uh, as best as they can. They just taking the sound and turning it into, turning it into English. <laughs> uh, the the joys of of names, right? And, and joys their origins. Of immigration. <laughs> yeah, the joys of immigration. But I mean, you you live in New York City, and uh, it features prominent in your film, which is the Secret Society for Slow Romance. Um, and that was one of the first things that caught me with your movie was uh, you you brought out the character i mean you hear that a lot new york city bring out the character but you really it felt like you really were trying to do that with this film is that was kind of what you're going for with some of the you know with the way you shot this film yeah i was consciously trying to show uh just living in new york some mm -hmm. beautiful aspects of new york city mostly brooklyn in this uh, case um yeah because a lot of movies tend to rush through the exteriors it's just like a quick setup then we go into the medium or wide shot and in, inside, then we go to the medium close-ups. Um, but in slow cinema movies, as you, I don't know if you saw Werewolf Ninja Philosopher. That's, I, have, I have not yet, unfortunately. I, no, I apologize on that. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, no, you, don't, you don't need to see that to understand this one. But mm -hmm. the style of, uh, you know, spending a lot of time on exteriors uh, mm -hmm. comes from slow cinema, which they do a lot of in a lot of slow cinema movies. And it's a really a good way to uh, get people to see and live in and share in, you know, the some of the beautiful aspects of a city or not so beautiful aspects. But in our case, 
because it's a romantic comedy type movie we're focusing on the good looking things <laughs> and, and you do you 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 uh a lot of the shots of that make show the beauty of new york city i i had a brief experience visiting new york city for a convention uh, i had to be at about five uh well it was seven <laughs> years ago oh <laughs> You okay Sorry, there? Uh, no, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> it's the, it's the season. It's the season. Right. <laughs> uh, I had the pleasure of, of being there and being a big movie guy. I got to, I was like a, three blocks away from Times Square. We were at a comedy club just down the road and I got a picture of me with the big marquee in the back. And it's, it is definitely a visually interesting city. And I think you capture a lot of that in your film. Now uh, you mentioned slow cinema. Uh, and you've done a uh, number of episodes with our good friend Ian Simmons about slow cinema. If you could explain to uh, my uh, my listeners a bit what slow cinema is, because I think there's a misconception with it. And I'm slowly starting to understand more about it. But if you could uh, maybe explain a little bit of what that actually means. Sure. The pace of movies have never been the same in every movie since the start of filmmaking. So in, uh, I mean, to start at one point, in 1940s post-war European cinema, the, you know, right after the war, Italian neorealism and also a couple of decades later, French New Wave, they started uh, shooting at live locations because right after the war, there were no film studios up and running. And uh, also it was just easier. Mm -hmm. uh, they started using real actors live locations and uh, like, um, you know, Roberto Rossellini, a bunch of other Italian neorealist filmmakers. So the pace of those movies were not, uh, you know, as fast as, as uh, Hollywood, uh, you know, Hollywood movies, even mm -hmm. some of the older Hollywood movies, even I was looking at some clips from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the, the pace is slower. It's, you know, it, it gives people time to do things. But in the modern era, especially action movies and influenced by MTV and influenced by fast TV and videos, things are pretty fast. Things are depicted and uh, happening in a kind of a fast way in American movies, maybe a little bit slower in TV. So slow cinema in part has to do with the pace of the movie. It's a slower pace, but uh, Beyond that, what is considered slow cinema now is more of a philosophical reflective style, which, mm. uh, which Love Diaz uses, Apichat Bangvers Atikul uses, and uh, Terrence Malick in the U.S. use, uh, and I use in and I used in my last two movies. It gives you time to wonder why am I looking at this? Uh, why is it being shown to me this way? and what else is going on. It also gives you space to think about related ideas that gives your brain time to, uh, you know, think about related ideas in your own life or in other work. Mm -hmm. So it's a more of a reflective pace where something like uh, Goodfellas, you know, it grabs you in and it takes you for a ride <laughs> and it lets you off when it's done, right? You don't have a lot of time to wonder about things. So it's, it's a different style. If that, does that all make sense? No, that, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, is that what uh, appealed to you of why you wanted to uh, make uh, slower cinema or slow cinema films was, was that fact of letting 
the imagination go, say, for your viewer? Yeah, that's one of the reasons. I mean, I don't always want to make slow cinema paced or slow cinema style movies, but last couple of movies have been like that. Also, uh, I'm a big fan of Jim Jarmusch movies. Oh, yeah. He did The Mystery Train. I don't know if you have you seen his movies? Uh, that He did, uh, was that The Dead Don't Die? Was that his? Dead Don't Die is not a great example, but he did that. <laughs> It's but, not uh, not a slow cinema, but I did enjoy the Dead Don't Die. I've watched a couple of his, but I'm not too familiar with which ones he did. I'm I know I've watched them. It's just I I can't give the names at the moment, unfortunately. Right, right. But no problem. Yeah, um, check out Mystery Train from 1989. Okay, that movie I saw in Chicago when I was in film school, and I really mm -hmm. like the style. It gives you, uh, it makes you feel like you are at the place mm -hmm. uh, because just the way the sound and the pace and the way it's shot. And it, it feels very real. And I, I liked, you know, it's like, a it's like you're living through a moment in the real world. So that, I like that aspect of slow cinema. Jarmusch is kind of uh, slow cinema. I mean, you know, the slow cinema term came into being over the last two decades or so, but Jarmusch was doing slower movies that use real spaces and real characters that seem realistic for a long time. Yeah. and, and I, I, I've seen a couple of his films and, and I've enjoyed this style quite a bit. Slow cinema. Uh, you know, you mentioned Terrence Malick. Uh, I've, I've given Malick mm -hmm. some, you know, a couple of chances. Um, and Ian's tried with me a bit. And, you know, those, those his type of films maybe are just a little bit too, for lack of a better term, or what used to be really, I think, used to describe these as art housey. Yeah, yeah, they're um, art house. Slow you know, cinema's art house stuff. You know, art, it, it's art house. And, and for me, I think it, it was just maybe a little too slow. I don't mind abstract, but for me, I think it's just not quite my thing. But then again, I see a movie like, and we've, we've talked about this, uh, Pig. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you mentioned that that's kind of a slow cinema style because there's not really a lot happening in Pig, right. but there's a lot of that, like you mentioned, space to breathe. Mm -hmm. um, and, and which you have in uh, your film, The Secret Society for Slow Romance, you have those that pacing where it still was evenly paced, which uh, in all uh, honesty, I, I was very surprised because I heard slow cinema, okay. But for me, I took it as still, it was still evenly paced. It was just the way the story played out. I, I kind of, in, it, you know, it, it grabbed me because I'm like, okay, where, where are we going with this? Because you get this meeting between you and uh, your co-star, Aaliyah. Yes. And I loved the Allison character. Um, yeah, she's great. She, she immediately, I like immediately connected with her because of the, the passion and stuff that she, she brought to that character mm -hmm. uh was she uh, just a friend of yours because you're filming this during the pandemic so i imagine casting was a bit limited for you <laughs> yeah 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 casting is an entirely interesting story for this movie mm -hmm. Aaliyah, i discovered uh, through my previous movie werewolf ninja philosopher and uh she played the werewolf's girlfriend who was mm -hmm. in a few scenes so there were two other actors uh actresses ready to you know that were selected over time to play in slow romance but for various reasons including the pandemic they couldn't do it and uh, Amir Madla who's a filmmaker actor in LA who makes an interesting movies check out his movie man I think you'll like it um, uh, he was going to play the Renee role 
Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, but in early March 2020, everything got shut down. Yeah. So that was out the window. And I was like, all right, Aliyah, I can still get, and maybe I can play this role. So I <laughs> reworked it so that I could play it. And, and it actually works uh, because there is a difference between the personalities between uh, your two characters, um, you know, which you kind of, you want that, that difference. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like, I like uh, what you had with, with the dialogue in that. And when you were coming up with this, as you mentioned, it shut down. Mm -hmm. Did you have that moment where you're like, well, maybe I should put off making this or did that not enter into it? You're like, I don't care pandemic or not. I'm going to make this film. No, I thought it was best to make it when I was ready to make it because I was mm -hmm. getting ready to make it in like early March last year. Mm -hmm. Because the longer you wait with the, you know, indie ultra low budget, micro budget, no budget film projects, actually for all movie projects, the longer you wait, the more difficult it gets to make. Uh, I mean, it becomes to make it because other factors that you don't see at the moment may, you know, come into play down the road. Right. So especially in March, 2020, we didn't know when or if there would be a vaccine. Right. We didn't know uh, when we can get back to uh, like the normal way of producing movies. So I was like, nope, got to do it now. Otherwise <laughs> we may be waiting for like five years, but luckily that wasn't the case, but you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> Got to do it when you feel like you can do it. Now, with some of the footage uh, that you shot, uh, you you have the New York footage, uh, and then you have uh, the footage in the uh, apartment with the date. Uh, and I kind of put it in quotes because it, it's a date. It's you know the way it plays out. It's just it, two people uh, across the table from each other, but it, it feels feels like a date. Um, but uh, some of the footage you have uh, is, are you two, you're in front of the camera. Did you have another camera person help you out or did you grab no. someone off the street or? <laughs> no, for all the uh, apartment scenes, mm -hmm. there was no camera person except me. So right. I, I would set up the camera, mm -hmm. I would get it running, I would get the scene started. Then I would take breaks after each take to make sure uh, the uh, audio and video were being right. recorded properly and, you know, some weird noise or some camera malfunctioning is not getting in the way. It was, um, it added to the time, mm -hmm. but uh, for an intimate, you know, two people talking uh, movie like this one, especially with me having to act, I liked there not being too many people around. It's just, <laughs> you know, it, it reduced the stress level. Mm -hmm. so if it's just me and Aaliyah, we can do multiple takes, the camera's rolling. I mean, it added a lot more work for editing. Uh, sure. We ended up with 20 hours of footage for an hour and a half long. <laughs> well, you, you but you've got some outside shots, so where it's you two. So how did you do? Oh, we had one friend come you up, a uh, homemaker okay. friend, Gene uh, uh, Ertl Jean er from mm -hmm. Maryland. Uh, he came to visit. We grabbed him uh, for the shoot that day. <laughs> so one, uh, you know, all the park shots, mm -hmm. those were shot in one day, and uh, he just filmed us walking around and hanging out at the park. So we had, we did have an assistant camera person for one day out of like the seven shoot days, seven or eight, maybe 10 shoot days. I was, I was just wondering about that. Cause I'm like, okay, I get, I get how he shot the other things, but okay. How do he do, do, do <laughs> I'm like what movie magic does, does he have there? Uh, speaking of the park, you, you feature an elderly couple in, in the film. Yeah. Uh, did you just run across them? Were these no, people? They're, they're friends. They're friends. Oh, okay. 
they're actors in this movie yes okay I, because it seemed it almost felt like you just because it is new york right i it just it wouldn't have surprised me if you just ran across these two people and worked the, and worked them into the movie it, it worked them into the movie uh so so where did the idea for this come from um where did i get this idea Oh, in Chicago in 2018, no, 2019, mm -hmm. I, was, I was showing Werewolf, uh, my previous movie. And, uh, you know, you'll, when you see Werewolf, you'll see that it's very much a fantastic world and mm -hmm. a fantastic character removed from the real world, right? And I was like, it would be fun to make a movie where we talk about just the real world uh, of filmmakers, indie filmmakers, underground filmmakers, and just have it be like a conversation date movie, like uh, Before Sunrise or that that kind of a, that type of movie. So I told the uh, Chicago uh, Facets film programmer and some friends in Chicago, yeah, I think the next movie is going to be just two people hanging out, you know, uh, sort of a date <laughs> conversation movie. That's how it began. And then that was July, 2019. Then August, September, I did some test shoots and started writing the script in 2019. And how long did you take it take you to write the script for it? I was writing and rewriting all the way till we started filming uh, <laughs> in September of 2020. So the, the script went through a lot of different versions. One of the secrets about um, seeing dialogue that's you know good and interesting on screen is because it's gone through many versions, mm -hmm. you know, many rewrites it's almost impossible to come up with the uh, improvised good dialogue you know just you know improvising the scene usually i mean depending on who you have in front of the camera you can usually tell especially with indie cinema when they've improvised right, <laughs> the, right. the, the the dialogue um you know it because improvisation is hard i was part of a improv comedy troupe when i was in college uh, kind mm -hmm. of a comedy sports thing and it's a challenge it's a challenge to, to come up with entertaining dialogue and not either repeat yourself or just have something fall flat. And we had many things that fell flat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough thing. The directors who do improvise movies well, they shoot a lot of footage mm -hmm. and, and they have experience on guiding the conversation. I mean, it's a lot of work. Writing a script and acting it out is much less work. And mm -hmm. you can make sure you hit all the things that you need to hit to make the story in the flow yeah because you you've got it better planned out and and you 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 know where you're going with it and i imagine editing makes it easier too yeah, versus versus uh improv so makes it a million uh, times easier i have a question for you sure Since, uh, this is kind of an unusual movie a slow cinema art house mm -hmm. movie and a movie that you know deals with the lives of lives of filmmakers how, well, what were some of your reactions as you went through the movie? Well, I was fully honest, uh, full disclosure. I was taken a little aback at first of, of you know, just two people. To, I'm like, okay. This is, <laughs> no, it's just, you know, I, I'm watching it again. We, we, we've, we've discussed it. I talked to Ian, you know, this is my normal wheelhouse, but I do like expanding my horizons and, and watching other stuff. But oh, as, one, one, one quick question. Sure. Uh, another model was My Dinner with Andre. Have you seen that movie? Yes, I have actually. Okay, good. So, mm -hmm. so you have some, uh, you know, <laughs> some familiarity with people, you know, just people talking in a movie. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I've seen some other indie cinema where uh, indie underground, I like to call micro budget. I never like to say low budget or yeah, yeah. no budget uh, because there's some money involved. Yeah, uh, it, it some money. Or time, one of the two. It costs right. something to make it. Right. Um, but, you know, for me, it was like, okay, I've seen, kind of seen this before and there's been some indie films I've seen where there's two people talking and it wasn't, it, it went on for a long time. It wasn't, you know, interesting. So I kind of was, yeah, I was kind of hesitant. No, honestly, what is easy to do it. I'm like, but then I listening to the dialogue and then you, you interspersing scenes of New York and seeing what you were doing there. And then just, uh, Aaliyah, uh, you know, Allison walking, uh, along the streets and that and through the park or in her own apartment that I, I became more interested in these characters and the film kind of grew on me as I watched it. And, you know, that's where I started noticing a dynamic between the two characters. And I don't know if that's what you're going for. I could have been way off, but I noticed that, you, you know, at the beginning, she's the more energetic one. And you're just kind of like, well, yeah, you could do it that way, that way. And then as it progresses, you both by the end of it, you're like bouncing ideas off each other. And you're almost as ecstatic as she was at the beginning of the film mm -hmm. about these ideas. And it, it was unexpected in a good way. Uh, you know, it, it, it took its time to get there, obviously with slow cinema, but it kept my interest throughout because I was curious of where this was going. Good, good, good. Yeah, that's that's probably how it'll work for a lot of people who put the time in to get into the movie. It's an interesting experience. I mean, not just you, but I've talked to very experienced uh, film critics who've seen mm -hmm. the movie, and uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, it took a while to get used to the form, you know, mm -hmm. just two people talking, but then they get into it. Yeah, the characters were designed that way. So that one is very laid back and where one is very enthusiastic, then they come together on mm -hmm. something towards the end of the movie. Yeah, and I think so. You accomplish you accomplished that well because oh. I was, you know, by the end of it, I was like, yeah. And also, it's an indie film that's not nihilistic. I right. I, I love indie film, but I and usually I tend towards indie horror, mm -hmm. um, but usually and there's one filmmaker who I don't he makes nihilistic films and for some reason they just click with me and I, I don't mind them but a number of like horror films you just get that nihilistic kind of downer ending you're just like oh well that was great you know but in this one that you have um it never gets heavy even for a romantic comedy I I felt you know I never felt like Oh, well, here comes the drama. At some point, it's it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a major fight. Yeah, and... right. <laughs> yeah, this it, is a, it's more of a movie about interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to avoid the cliched romantic comedy plot. I think I was able to do it by putting in the Save the World subplot. And also really, the other thing we were doing is getting really into the lives of indie and underground filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And that reality, which is hardly ever talked about in movies, because it's tough to do well, and because it would alienate and bore a lot of people. <laughs> and uh, then there's the other plots that people have to, you know, service in the other movies. Well, you know, and some of the other films I've seen that try to address indie filmmaking, it's almost done either 
comical mm -hmm. or sometimes a little over exaggerated rather than just presenting a you know unless it's maybe a documentary presenting a a just a normal <laughs> you yeah. know a, a progression for indie filmmaking there's always something going on and yeah especially romantic comedies it's like there's a dark secret somewhere. I was just waiting for it, Allison, or you know, <laughs> or your character. I'll just wait for someone to bring it up. Going, oh, I just can't do this anymore. You know, <laughs> no, that well, we avoided all that. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things I like about uh, uh, Jarmusch movies. Most mm -hmm. of his movies, he he avoids the typical predictable plots. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I try to do in my movies also. Uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to say. Oh, sure. most movies, when they show Brooklyn creative types, indie mm -hmm. filmmakers and other artists, they're almost making fun of the characters. It's not a sincere mm -hmm. reflection on these people who represent actual real people, thousands of you know, such people in New York area. So that's another thing I wanted to not do, uh, not to take the easy way out to make fun of these characters, but you know, look at them as real people and see and look at interesting aspects of their lives well and your shots of of brooklyn also are in daylight they're they're actually well lit it's not like a lot of times we see shots of brooklyn which are near evening or you know sunset okay. with dark shadows and right. you know it, the shaky cameras yeah shaky camera or the graffiti or what <laughs> you, right. you know the the underbelly it's brooklyn you know it's really hardcore but right. it's almost it, brooklyn yeah <laughs> but you you show a different side of it and and i i liked that quite a bit because i was like oh this 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 really feels like just two normal people getting to know each other yeah, that's right you know that nothing over exaggerated in that and uh it, it was different experience for me but in a positive light um you know and, and awesome. again and again it's it's just not necessarily the type of film i'm used to but i'm always open to it and and i think uh you nail it well with what you were going for with this and i i like the idea i think what also helps is the chapters uh, you know, what was the reason behind mm -hmm. breaking it up in chapters rather than just kind of playing it out, uh, uh, playing the narrative out without breaking it up into chapters? Uh, well, uh, yeah, the story could have been done, uh, the movie could have been done just as two people talking for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. But I, because I was, uh, because I was putting in large, you know, long segments with mm -hmm. the shots of the city, also, the chapters, uh, breaking up into chapters shows it's happening over several days or weeks. Sure. And it allows me to focus each segment on a given topic, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. uh, getting to know each other at first and then about, you know, uh, anti-poverty stuff or mm -hmm. specifically filmmaking stuff. You know, each chapter allows me to, in my writing, allowed me to focus on, you know, a number of different uh, subjects. And I think it helped like for me, a novice in slow cinema, it helped me focus a bit of what you were going for for that scene in case I might have missed it or, or wasn't quite, you know, uh, if I missed something, it, it helped with the setup when you when you had the chapters in there, I'm like, oh, okay. And what you had for chapter titles actually reflected really well with what was going on so I, I could kind of follow and go oh that's what we're going for here versus I think if you good, have, good. I think if you didn't have chapters 
it, I, I might have would have been like, okay, what, what's going on here? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Even though I make uh, super indie movies, I wanted this one to be more accessible to mm -hmm. a mainstream audience. You know, who's going to put some work into getting into it? So mm -hmm. yeah, I think uh, I think that that was achieved. It sounds like from the movie because you don't really want to keep making movies just for like a very small number of people <laughs> who know and like you know what you do, mm -hmm. right? You want to try to expand a little, and especially this movie about the their goal becomes to end poverty worldwide, and that's sort of a you know universally mm -hmm. accessible idea. So I wanted to, if I was going to have that in the movie, as opposed to some you know goal like opening a micro budget movie theater in Brooklyn. <laughs> right? If we're going to talk about a topic that everyone in the world uh, can relate to to some degree, sure. let's make the form of the movie relatable, you know, with a little bit of work. Uh, like I always say, a film is like different types of food, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you may mm -hmm. never have had Ethiopian food and the first time you have it, or French food, uh, or Chinese food even, first time you have it, you may not dig it, but over time you might be like, you know what, there's some great stuff in this type of food and <laughs> you, might keep, you might keep going back uh, over and over. So for American audiences, we're used to the Hollywood pace, the Hollywood... Uh, plot-driven stories, slow cinema and indie cinema and foreign cinema is different. Mm -hmm. uh, but over time, some people become huge fans of it. Yeah, there's far more cuts. I mean, you know, not even action films. I was watching, I forgot what film I was watching. It was just a normal scene. Mm -hmm. And I realized just how many cuts were in the conversation among two right. people at a table. It was like, cut, 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 cut. cut. And I'm like, Wow, you know, <laughs> it's something that I've noticed. I mean, especially with like action movies too, uh, for sure. You know, and that's why I think I like, I actually like foreign cinema action films a little better uh, mm -hmm. than American because especially for uh, uh, Asian uh, cinema, because mm -hmm. usually your actors are doing the stunts. So they want you to see the artistic, you know, work that went into the fight scenes or whatnot. And I love it because, it, yeah, it's maybe not as kinetic through editing, but you get to see what's going on more, uh, <laughs> you know, and you have that in, in your, in your film as well. You, you've got two people and it, it's, you do cut, you know, alternate camera angles occasionally, but it's still one of those things where not as nearly as many as what we see in modern Hollywood for just about anything. And I'm like, stop cutting <laughs> yeah when i first started like i remember in 2014 uh 2013 i was editing my movie breakthrough weekend and we had multiple angles some of the first uh scenes i cut there's like way too many like you know like uh five ten cuts per minute and i'm like all right that's a little too much uh then you know i tried doing it uh slower and if you organize the project as a sort of a slow project, uh, the pace, then, you know, then you can cut in interesting ways that uh, still keeps people engaged. But yeah, even regular Hollywood movies, there's, uh, I feel like they don't spend enough time or the plot is just too big, you mm -hmm. know, for an hour and a half story. I was watching, 
uh, On the Rocks. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful, you know, regular movie by Sofia Coppola. And uh, I felt like that was rushing through too fast to hit the, you know, hit the plot points sure. and get to the end of the story. Even that would have been better, I think, as uh, like a, like a, you know, two or three episode or two or three mm -hmm. different movies. And you think maybe it's because you're shooting a lot of them now are shooting. On, I mean, some are digital film, but a lot of the foot movies now being shot digitally. Mm -hmm. Now you don't necessarily have to worry so much about how much film, because you mentioned earlier, like uh, it's a wonderful life. A lot of those classic films, even psycho um, you have a lot of those longer, not so many cut, Mm -hmm. shots especially for conversations of people even where you have the dead air between them you can hear kind of the the hiss or whatever uh because they're shooting on film would you say maybe shooting digitally has helped or maybe hindered the filmmakers and in, in, you know how much they can shoot and, and cut having too much uh footage or having depending on the project but right Having ten times or more on, uh, you know, ten times or more uh, uh, room to shoot than typically if you were to shoot on film, it does create un, uh, it does create problems. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't make the decisions uh, beforehand. You shoot a lot of stuff. Some filmmakers then you try to put it together in the edit. Uh, overall, it's better now that we have digital uh, cinema mm -hmm. that we can shoot on digital video. But yeah, the people should still train to shoot as if they had to shoot one to one or right. like four to one at least, which is uh, for a two hour movie, maybe you shoot eight hours of footage, then you right. cut it down. So that helps you, that helps you, you know, that gets you trained to think in a, in a sort of efficient economical way. Uh, that way you can put together interesting scenes and you don't necessarily have to assemble it through like 50 cuts when it, <laughs> when it could just be like four cuts but they're interesting sure yeah it's it, i always wondered about that because they shoot like hollywood now shoots practically up to they can shoot or make changes of the film up to like the week before release it's mm -hmm. like you know where i remember as a kid it was like the film was already in oh, excuse me the film was already in the can like months before it ever was released because they had to do the print and the the you know the print stock and the negatives and all of oh that. yeah yeah um, uh, on slow on slow romance how did you like uh, the movie going into towards the end uh, the save the world uh, subplot <laughs> I I liked it I, I I thought it gave it some charm by that point uh, it wasn't out of the um, it wasn't out of the realm of believability for these two characters because. Uh, both come across as big dreamers, especially Allison. I mean, right off, right out the batch, you could tell always creating. So uh, for me, I, I found it amusing. I found it uh, charming, uh, you know, that, that they were thinking that big because uh, having two boys of my own who are one's 19, one's 21 now, uh, they have big ideas and big, mm -hmm. big goals. And they aren't necessarily, you know, they don't let some of the real life cynicism get in the way of what they want to do. And that's what it kind of reminded me uh, by the end of the film between these two is that they, there was no one around saying, no, you can't do it. They were both encouraging each other, 
which is what I don't think we get enough of nowadays, not to get too deep. I'm, I'm as deep as a puddle. Usually I say, but uh, you know, deep as you want. This is the podcast, <laughs> podcast about an unusual movie that says it accomplishes the characters accomplish a very epic goal. So they do, they do. But, but that's what I liked is that also throughout the film, there was nothing between the two characters to where, you know, you, you know, the Allison and Renee, they, they came up with ideas of like, well, you're going to run into this challenge, but they never said, no, you shouldn't do. No, don't No, That's dumb. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a dumb idea. It's like, uh, especially in the conversation in the beginning where Allison has lots of ideas and you're like, yeah, sure. You could do that though. I've run into this problem and this problem, but I could see you doing that. You know, it, that type of conversation uh, is stuff that we do still have occurring, but I don't think as it's not as loud mm-hmm. or not as in the forefront on the internet as the no, that's stupid, no, that's dumb, the definitive line of, yeah, you can't do that, which we see more and more in conversations online, especially amongst people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, yeah, more uh, when I. Initially, it was going to be a positive. Well, initially, it was just going to be realistic. Sure. Then in early March of last year, when the shutdowns were coming, I thought mm-hmm. by the time the movie comes out, we people will need something positive and charming, <laughs> fun, to try to forget a little bit the pandemic problems. So I went with uh, you know more of a positive take on things. Also, the character Renee is supposed to be the happiest man in North America, the happiest person in North America. So we had to, so uh, that and filmmakers usually have to, we have to become very optimistic to think even that we can make Mm -hmm. a movie and get it out because that's a, for an ordinary person, that would be an enormous challenge. And uh, even with money and training, uh, it's still a huge challenge to every filmmaker, but Typically, filmmakers have to think that, yeah, whatever, however big the project is, it can be done. Right. Otherwise, you would never do it. Otherwise, you'd just be crushed <laughs> down by the problems that come up every day. You just give in to that and go, yeah, you know what? I'm done. I don't want right. to. Uh, <laughs> right. That happens sometimes. Which I've seen it happen sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, which, what made you want to get into filmmaking? Uh, you know. No, I, I looked at all my possibilities, which were many. I could have done mm-hmm. anything. And uh, I was like, filmmaking is challenging. It's interesting. You get to learn about new things. And you get to you know communicate mm-hmm. with the larger public. And uh, the example of Spike Lee was influential. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, made, he came out with Do the Right Thing in 1989, I think, mm-hmm. as I was getting out of high school and or around there. Uh, so yeah, so it's a, it's a challenge. It's been a challenging and interesting life trying to pursue and making indie movies. <laughs> and out of the two types of movies, indie versus Hollywood, uh, and the, the differences were visible even as far back as the as 89, 90, 91. <laughs> um, I always thought uh, indie is the more interesting way to go because it, it gives you more space as an artist to do work. Yeah, I have noticed that through the years of of covering indie cinema that uh, I've always that's what I've always kind of respected about indie cinema is 
and, and I've said it on some reviews in that, that you don't necessarily have a huge studio or producers or many people giving their input on your film, which, you know, can be bad, but also is very good because you don't have someone saying they're going, no, you really shouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's your choice if you're going to make that decision through your narrative or how a shot choice, or if you're going to just shock people, that's your choice, knowing that, you know, it may not appeal to everyone. <laughs> yeah, and you learn and you learn over time, making your movie, showing it to people, getting feedback from critics and the public exactly what you're comfortable doing uh, and, and mm -hmm. how you're comfortable doing it. So, so that's why the, uh, the auteur uh, cinema or you know, director controlled indie cinema like Lynch, um, mm -hmm. uh, Jarmusch, uh, you know, and a lot of other such indie filmmakers are more interesting than movies made by a committee where it doesn't have a singular voice Mm -hmm. It's like trying to do 50 different things, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, some Hollywood films are definitely doing that. And what I, what I always joke about, because I get, I get uh, razzed sometimes about either liking B-movies or, you know, like Ed Wood films. Uh, right. I, I love Tim Burton's Ed Wood. I, that's a beautiful film. Um, and I saw it recently. I liked it. Yeah, Johnny Depp was, was great in it. Um, but I, I like, you know, B-cinema and that. People are like, well, how could you watch that? I'm like, because especially some of the earlier stuff in the 80s and even 70s and that, there's a, a earnest, you know, there's there's an honesty to them because like you said, folks were making these films. They weren't making them saying, man, I'm going to make the worst film ever. That's right. You're making the film like you, this is going to be, yeah. Best. <laughs> the best. But yeah. you kind of need that. Otherwise you do hit those hurdles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, those challenges. Um, and, and that's what I've always respected about any cinema, but where I was going with it, uh, apologies, is that some of those B films and that are still being talked about today, those odd films, those, those weird films, those films that are so bad they're good, whereas the Academy Award winning films are barely talked about even among cinephiles. True, true. Things that are unusual. This is what I always tell indie filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Don't try to imitate uh, the Hollywood of today. Do something super weird, super outside the norm, uh, and you know, establish a voice because mm -hmm. the Hollywood of today is already doing what they do really well, right? Right. So you're not gonna you're not gonna do better. You know, <laughs> you're you're, if you're trying to imitate Hollywood, it's gonna look like a bad low budget imitation, right? I mean, if done extremely enough, that could also be interesting, but, <laughs> but better for you to, uh, you know, try to establish your own voice, your own territory, your own uh, thematic concerns, so that audiences will be like, you know, I watched Transformers 15, I'm kind of bored, <laughs> I, I ate a bunch of uh, popcorn and, sure. uh, and drank a lot of Coke, and, but you know, I'm, I'm 40, let me go take a take a look at this other thing about these people trying to do this thing that's happening in New York that might be a little bit more interesting because uh, once you watch 20 years of Hollywood blockbusters, you've kind of seen, you know, most things that could happen in that space. 
That's why I, I've been interested. I've been surprised by a number of the films that have made it to wide release over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Eli Ross, uh, Green Inferno. Mm-hmm. Never thought I would see in a theater a cannibal movie <laughs> with that extremes. Or I don't know if you saw it, uh, Mother. Oh, I haven't seen it, but you I heard it, it was very unusual. It was a very unusual film. It ended up being my my favorite of that year. Awesome. Um, Darren Aronofsky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it was one of those where the YouTube, as I call it, the YouTube review averse, on the whole, for the most part, hated that film. <laughs> they they didn't like that film at all. But then indie filmmakers that I talked to, they're like, oh, man, I get it. It spoke to them, and they got something different out of it than other people who appreciated it. They weren't filmmakers or creative folks, but they they enjoy unusual cinema. They got something else out of it. And I was like, that is what I like about movies, especially you know indie cinema, is that you all sit down and get something different out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially with films like that that are just uh, unusual or break break the mold. Um, and and I think those last longer uh, <laughs> and talked about more uh, than than your 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 cookie cutter Hollywood. Though there is a place for that. You know, I think people think that too. Is that you say, oh well, Hollywood. You know, you you've seen one, you see them all. There's room for escapism, isn't there? <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. It's it's a very popular industry. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but you know, like it's like eating candy, right? You can't eat candy all the time. <laughs> you can, but once you're an older person, you know, it's not as interesting. You know, it's it's like Halloween is very interesting for kids because they get all the candy they want. Uh, <laughs> but when you're an adult, you can buy candy anytime. It's not a big deal. It's better to seek out different kinds of food, you know. Um, that's, yeah, Hollywood is great and uh, it, uh, you know, makes a lot of money. It creates certain kind of work that other, you know, like, you couldn't really do Star Trek, you know, without the Hollywood structure and the right. thing and the distribution and the stars, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a show like we were talking about uh, earlier. Uh, I like how I was talking about some people earlier mm-hmm. today. That's a show that can appeal to you know people who want escapism and people who want deeper thoughts into life, right? So uh, yeah, there's room for a lot of things, but yeah, indie film is interesting because it brings a different voice, different voices to the front, especially given our American history, how you know colonialism and racism mm-hmm. sort of uh, kept out minority filmmakers and also female filmmakers uh, out of Hollywood until very recently. The, one of the ways around such problems is for more minority and female filmmakers to make indie movies and establish careers and fan bases. Well, and now there's, with the internet, broadband, everybody's doing a streaming channel of some kind. They're looking for content. And now there's more, there seems to be more opportunities, potential opportunities, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, for those voices to finally start coming to the surface. And we're starting to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's it's great to see, um, you know, that happening. It's unfortunate it's taken this long. Um, to have well, that, but it could have taken 10 times longer. So, you know, <laughs> it, it couldn't. And I'm interested to see where the landscape is, you know, is going to go from, from here 
as things continue, especially with the streaming services and more content than ever being available to people, is that a bit of a detriment to indie cinema, to indie filmmakers, is that there's so much out there now you could possibly get lost in the shuffle? Well, if you think of it in the old type of distribution where it was only theatrical mm -hmm. and there were, you know, suddenly, if it was only theatrical and suddenly the, the number of available movies you know, expands by tenfold or hundredfold, then that becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. But now, like you were saying, now it's like narrow casting mm -hmm. where if I want to see a movie about, you know, artists in New York, then I know where to look, right? Mm -hmm. I know these filmmakers are making stuff like that. So then it'll be a channel, it'll be Criterion, or mm -hmm. it'll be movie, it might be something on Vimeo VOD. I know where to look. So it's much better to have these multiple options because uh, it's not just, there's no one singular, uh, one single uh, audience that was created just because uh, the film theaters were the only option in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. There's no home video, there's no streaming like there's now. So in reality, there was always a very large audience. They, you know, the, the products and the delivery system was not there to make everyone happy. Now it's possible. Yeah, it, it is. And it's it's actually interesting times for especially uh, visual folks who like visual medium, like film or even uh, art. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, video, I, I- Even video games. Uh, my brother makes video games and mm -hmm. he has a very interesting game coming out next year that deals with, uh, uh, I mean, I won't give too much away because no. you know, they haven't made the right. proper announcement yet, but it's a, uh, it's a well-funded video game from a major uh, film company mm -hmm. that deals with South Asian life. So oh. that's, you know, that kind of thing would, didn't exist 20 years ago, <laughs> even 10 years ago. Yeah, even 10 years ago. So it's, it's very interesting to see in the landscape or music. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, before the interview here, I caught myself and sometimes I do. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge music lover. Mm -hmm. I, I love music nearly as much as I love uh, film. And um, you can run a video store from all the stuff. I could, I could, well, it is a family video shelf. So, uh, you know, I, I had to rescue it for history um, purposes. Uh, but I, I caught music and I watched, you know, people from all over the world play very talented individuals that probably would have never got really discovered but now they can. And it's like what you said with the indie cinema that's out there, people looking for specific things. I mean, you can pretty much go now, hey, I want to see some talented pianists. So you type in talented pianists and suddenly, boom, <laughs> you know, or like you said, I want to see some, uh, you know, films that reflect uh, Asian culture, actual Asian culture. You could search that and actually find videos like that now. Yeah. So I guess you're right that uh, even though there's a lot out there, it wouldn't get lost because people now can seek specific things. Um, yeah, I think uh, the current situation is maybe bad for studios that had a lock on the, you know, marketplace mm -hmm. just because they had theaters or they right. had access to theaters. But but those studios are also now adapting. They're mm -hmm. start, starting their own streaming sites. You know, they're partnering with Netflix and other people. So everyone's uh, getting on the board. I mean, getting on board with the uh, with the new reality that 
yeah, there are different things for different people and more people are going to make things. And we, you know, people just have to figure out how to connect the audience with the things that the more people are making. Yeah, and uh, hopefully they do find that connection. And I think your film is going to connect with a number of people. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, especially those who probably live in New York, they'll probably recognize places and such. But and uh, also those... uh, people, I think everywhere in a lot of other places also like New York or seeing New York. Mm -hmm. um, like when I lived in Maryland, I watched some episodes of Sex and the City just to see shots of New York. <laughs> Very, very interesting. You could always see why it's one of those places a lot of people like to shoot because there's so much visually going on. I mean, I, I, I live in a small town in, in the middle of Wisconsin, so we do have some visual things, but not, our landscape's not nearly, our skyline's not nearly as interesting as, say, New York. There you go. People um, can travel by watching my movie. It's kind of like a travel movie. I'll, I'll look out for Wisconsin film festivals or art houses. <laughs> maybe, maybe the movie will come close to where you live. We don't have many, though. Uh, in Oshkosh, where we had our Sada City Horror Fest, it's a small community movie theater. It's a historical one uh, that's in downtown Oshkosh, which is about an hour away from here. And they, they support indie cinema, especially cool. indie horror. So, uh, and I think... Have you seen a growing, you've been uh, making indie cinema for uh, for some time. Have you seen a kind of a growing audience for it? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have has it grown, would you say, since when you first were making films? Well, by the time I, when I got into indie filmmaking in mm -hmm. the early 90s, that's when they, uh, you know, studios really discovered the potential of indie movies. Right. And they made it a big thing. And since then, film festivals and various streaming outlets have come on board so more people can get access to indie movies. Yeah, indie movies have been popular and, and becoming more popular. I mean, it's always tough to make and release indie movies because uh, you know they don't typically have stars or not many stars. The, they're not genre movies, typically the action right. and comedy movies, they could be unusual. There's always a challenge. Uh, when you're making when you're talking about non-hollywood movies but it's at least people regular people know about the existence of that type of movies right so it's much better than it was you know like let's say 30 40 years ago and, and what would you say uh in your experience is probably one of the biggest besides funding because that's always the number that's one the answer the problem for everyone <laughs> that's the problem for every indie filmmaker but what is one of the biggest challenges uh, that you find when making indie, uh, an indie film? Well, I think the challenges may be universal. It's just uh, at the Hollywood level, it's just bigger and more mm -hmm. expensive challenges, versions of the indie challenge. Sure. Uh, I think um, for indie filmmaking, the constant challenge is figuring out how to make it, uh, you know, do it well mm -hmm. within uh, the time and material limits that you have. Right. And the second thing is growing as an artist. I mean, you have a platform, you have a, a way to speak to the world using your movies. So you should try to, with each movie, try to do something new, try to incorporate some new ideas and you know refine how you make movies. The filmmakers who make it over time are the ones who, uh, like uh, Soderbergh, Jarmusch, many mm -hmm. others, who are, who are 
always trying to make it a little bit better uh, you know film after film and some filmmakers uh whose names i won't mention never really got past never got into cinematography never got into editing or different types of storytelling beyond the movie that you know yeah. made them famous right. then they would then they started other revenue streams like doing talk shows or whatever <laughs> that's fine whatever works but for most filmmakers you should try to uh do things better because uh i mean there's no hard good and bad but you, right. should, you should try to refine the process you know mm -hmm. do things in a better way when i first started making movies i didn't really care too much about the image mm -hmm. i was like well as long as it's mostly about dialogue as long as people can see and hear people and they can see the right. scene be good but then around uh, 2014, 2017, I was like, you know, film is a visual medium. If the images look really good, that makes an impression from the get-go. So that may buy you some time to, for, with people so that they can get into the characters and mm -hmm. they can get into the scene, you know, like you did with uh, Slow Romance. So if it looked horrible or quote unquote horrible from the beginning or like very homemade, shaky, mm -hmm. badly lit, you might be like, that's all right. I don't have time to get into this. I'm going to go look at something else. So that's an example of growing over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a visual medium and it uses audio really well also. Get into the visual, spend a year figuring out how to shoot things better, experiment. It took me about a year to figure out the look, the mm -hmm. how the movie looks, the color grade, lighting, all that stuff. I did lots of experiments to get to that point. Uh, to create a look that serves the material really well, kind of a cozy but realistic comedy, realism, and fantasy all in one shot. And and I think uh, you accomplish a lot of that with uh, Secret Society for Slow Romance. Uh, I personally like some of the shots you had of the uh, the plants and the and the the statue that you nice. <laughs> yeah yeah cutaways. yeah you know, the cutaways. Uh, I kind of I, I found those amusing actually. Uh, nice. <laughs> again, it, it grew on me. In all honesty, at first I was like, oh, and, you know, and then after a while, it was like we get a little closer to the cutaway and a little bit close, like. It's a, it added charm. Uh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, luckily I discovered that New York looks very good in movies, so I have that to add into my movies. If the story is slowing down too much, we can just cut to the city. Oh, that looks nice. I and mean, just just show the Brooklyn Bridge. There you go. That's right. That's right. Add, add some production value. <laughs> Well, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think we'll end it here, awesome. Jiwa. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, I've, 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 you know, it's watching. I'm slowly, you know, easing into slow cinema. Uh, but uh, <laughs> various art house movies. Yeah. Do you have a Criterion, uh, Criterion account? I do not yet. No, I. I well, it's a business really expense. Eleven dollars a month. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Get it and mess around. There's like uh, 2,000 plus movies on there. So Whew, you, can, wow. you can get in, <laughs> watch one of the Criterion movies at random once a week and see how you like it. You know, and, and I, I, I shouldn't say I don't like any, uh, or I haven't watched any slow cinema. One of my all-time favorite films is Seven Samurai. Oh, there which, you go. 
slower. Yeah. You know, which is for the most part, it's it's that you know, there's there's some really long, great. I just I loved that film. I got the Criterion Collection of it actually, awesome. uh, and, you know, where they show where they cleaned it up and everything, and it's just. It's an amazing film, and and, well, and uh, you might get into Irma Vep, which me and uh, Ian talked about. Okay. Coming out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It deals with Hong Kong action movies. Oh. I'll, I'll have to put that on my list. I'll yeah, some criterion Irma Vep. And uh, what should be on your list, folks, is the Secret Society of for Slow Romance. Um, you're looking for an upbeat, charming film. I found it charming. Uh, yeah, slow cinema. Don't use take it as negative i i honestly used to take it as negative but sajiwa here and ian are slowly <laughs> getting me to see at least uh uh it in a different light and i i thank you very much for this now is there a place where they can follow your stuff sajiwa uh, of what's yeah. going on and and updates for your projects and that yeah thanks a lot for the interview it's uh always interesting to hear from people who are not you know not the <laughs> choir but more mainstream uh, uh, entertainment journalists like yourself or people who make content about uh, entertainment. Uh, uh, you know, when, when uh, you get into uh, some, something indie, it's more interesting to me to hear a different perspective. Um, you can go to sujiwa.com, S-U-J-E-W-A.com, or you can go to uh, slowromancemovie.com. Everything's spelled out, slowromancemovie.com to get more information about the movie. And I'm also on Twitter a lot at Sajiwa Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic it is. Uh, and so we'll edit there. I will put links to that as well on the webpage for the podcast episode here. Awesome. And yeah, uh, folks, check it out. And I would just say a uh, good night, everyone. Thanks a lot. Good night.